0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, June 2nd, we are studying Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. In these last days before the day, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, all Christians owe to each other the debt of love as they test and discern what is the will of God as they are not conformed to this world, but they are transformed by the renewing of their minds. And so when I in faith test and discern and arrive at one conclusion and you in faith test and discern and arrive at another conclusion, what happens? Are we at an impasse? How do the strong and the weak in faith live together in love toward Christ and to each other? To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us Pastor Sam Belts. Pastor Belts serves at St. John Lutheran Church in Oskaloosa, Iowa. Pastor Belts, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thanks, Tim. Glad to have you this morning. So as we get started this morning, give us some context. How does Paul get from the end of chapter 13 to chapter 14.
1: so paul's making a big transition here chapter 13 to chapter 14. Uh, if you're if you've been reading through the text of romans you'll notice that uh, for the last several chapters he's been talking about god's unquestionable and unending election of the gentiles grafting them into the story of israel and the tree of israel and how this hasn't been because of any of Israel's works or any of uh, the Gentiles' works, but simply because of God's sovereign choice, is sort of the, the phrase that St. Paul hangs has had on there. And uh, points out uh, very directly that, uh, you know, Israel disobeyed God. They failed to have faith in him through the wilderness. They failed to trust in his son and hold on to Christ when Christ came. And therefore, God broke them off and then uh, extends the great grace of God by uh, inviting the Gentiles in and grafting them in, you know, as several of the parables in Matthew and Luke point out. And then um, God also gives a stern warning to the Gentiles saying, you know, if God did this to Israel, don't think he's not going to do it to you. And now uh, he's transitioning, as St. Paul seems to do in most of his texts, into uh from the christ uh from the work of god to graft in or the work of god in the person and work of jesus to bring about the gospel and the calling of all to faith to uh as luther would point out in one of his documents uh in the what to look for and expect in the gospels that when christ is proclaimed and given as the gift then also we have christ as the example and so here you have starting in chapter 14 uh, you have the conclusion of chapter 13 is that Christians are to love one another as God and Christ loved us, as you were pointing out in your introduction. And now St. Paul's getting down to a little bit more of a clear and direct statement about what this looks like for the daily life of the Romans as they execute their vocations in their daily lives to each other, but most notably as a Christian congregation. And specifically, the text for this morning deals with the passing of judgment, which is a timely... An extremely timely topic for us in the current situation that we're in and everything that's going
0: on. So as as we look at this, a couple of things. One, I mean, that, that transition, I think, happens back in chapter 12, verse 1. And that, that first verse there is going to be key to all of this, that Paul appeals to the Christians in Rome according to the mercies of God. That everything that he states here is founded upon what God in Christ has freely done for us by His grace, received through faith, not through works. And so that, that is the foundation of all, as you said. When it comes to this matter of judgment and what we're going to see today, just one more in terms of way of introduction here. You mentioned not only in daily vocation, but also in their life as a congregation. Are, in terms of the range of application here, are we thinking primarily of congregational life in terms of worship? Is it wider than that? Where, where do these words fit?
1: Yeah, I think these words fit, I think specifically for this chapter, you could be be very precise and say that this has to do with the intercongregational congregational relation of the Roman Church. So I, uh, depending on where you fall uh, scholastically on this or with your scholarly studies, you would, you could argue about the dynamics of this congregation being made up of both Jewish converts to Christianity and Gentile converts to Christianity, which there seems to be a significant amount of evidence In the text to point to that very thing. And in the midst of that context, you're, of course, going to have a various degrees of freedom and constraints that are going on within the congregation with regards to as what seems to be the the most uh, precise or the most uh, pressing issue in Romans chapter 14 here initially is what we are eating and what we are not eating and why it is that we are eating and why it is that we are not eating. And St. Paul even moves into other aspects of the life of the congregation as a whole, the days that are celebrated or the times that are celebrated and observed or the times that aren't observed. So those sorts of things, though, those affect the congregational dynamic for sure, right? Uh, You know, if you're going to have an argument about what day we are supposed to celebrate Christmas on, and some people are going to argue it's the 24th and some people are going to argue it's the 25th, you know, how do you work that out as a congregation? But then also in your home piety, right, in, in the daily devotional lives and the vocations, say, of a Christian family, uh, what day are you going to celebrate certain things or what things are you going to eat in your home life? You know, uh, those things are, of course, a matter of the conscience of the family and a matter of the faith of the family. And so then even then, you know, uh, one of the things that comes up here is you shouldn't have uh, what St. Paul is arguing is you shouldn't have one family uh, looking down on another family because this family won't eat uh bacon cheeseburger but this family will you know this shouldn't be an argument that actually divides the church uh with regards to the home vocation you know either so mm. all right the well- home life
0: so, so application both within that larger congregational life, and we'll, well, I think we'll have an opportunity to talk about some of these like, very modern applications, as you're saying, bacon, cheeseburgers, and uh, when December 24th or December 25th, I think both are, are quite applicable, and, and perhaps in a few other topics as well. Let's go ahead and, and read the text in Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's the text for today, Romans 14, verses 1 through 12. So Pastor Belts, just to get us started, Paul begins this chapter talking about the one who is weak in faith. What What's he got in mind when he says someone is weak in faith?
1: So the one who is weak in faith is still constrained by laws or rules. Uh, St. Paul would call these elemental principles and other epistles that he has written. Those folks who still feel constrained under the weight of uh, the law and haven't fully the freedom of Christ or the work of the Holy Spirit hasn't fully developed in them yet. So they're they are uh, they're not fully free, which is, of course, a tragic thing for St. Paul. Uh, And this is one of the main arguments that St. Paul brings up in several of his epistles. It's one of the main battles that St. Paul fights with his epistles. It's uh, the cause and the root of his showdown with St. Peter uh, that he recounts both in Acts and in Galatians with regards to the even the appearance of showing judgmentalism to one group or another with regards to what's being practiced or what's being eaten or any of those sorts of things so the, those who are weak according to St Paul in this text are the ones and, and here he brings up vegetarians right the one who only eats vegetables that that one is weak and then you have to answer the question well why is that well the you know for St Paul it's because they're they're imposing these rules on themselves for one reason or another and they are not fully expressing this freedom now we're not 100% sure what those rules are it could be some you know religious code or some kosher law you know from from one religion or another whether you're a gentile or a Jew but whatever it is if that's what's constraining you then you you haven't fully developed the freedom of Christ and that's of course where saint paul's hanging his hat with regards to weakness and strength
0: so when it comes to this this weakness and strength and those who as you said it's it's not there are certain rules that they're following they're adding that don't express the full freedom in Christ. The way that the ESV translates it here is, is not to quarrel over opinions. Right. So, I mean, what qualifies as something where there is freedom to have an opinion where, where maybe is there a need to come down on a particular point And that's not a matter of quarreling over opinions.
1: So you're talking about making a firm distinction between what is actually dragging people away from the Christian faith and what is just, you know, a matter of. Right. I mean. Disagree on Ford and Chevy.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, like where 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 does this apply? This sort of talk about not quarreling over opinions. Where does it apply and, and where where do we need to say, no, here there is a firm line?
1: Yeah. So I think in the so in the modern. What we're currently going through with all this COVID-19 stuff and the reopening of congregations and the discussion about federal government and state governments and local governments and the imposition of regulations and rules and guidelines or whatever is going on. So I don't know what it's like in Texas, but in Iowa, you know, a a lot of the discussion now with with the reopening of congregational services in person has to do with social distancing guidelines and especially the wearing of the masks, which has now become, you know, this hot button topic with regards to commitment over you know uh christian love and service for the neighbor or christian freedom and the expression of freedom you know and these these are the terms that are really getting thrown around by a lot of people that you know uh you don't have to come if you don't want to well we want to come we just want to make sure everybody's following the guidelines and how do we work these this this is an excellent litmus test for this very topic, right? How do we talk with each other rationally out of Christian love, out of Christian concern, knowing that some are more nervous than others with regards to the current situation, knowing that some are less nervous about the current situation with regards to things, and how do we argue about Mm. these things or talk about these things, and what's the framework that we use for discussing these things, right? So if the framework, you know, in my opinion, and I think this is a fair one, if the framework for our discussion in a Christian congregation has more to do with federal statute than it does to do with the scriptures, then that needs to be something we think about critically, right? If we are if we are making decisions in the church based on a federal statute, and it's questionable whether or not it's a federal actual statute or, ex, ex, you know, an, uh, a law where the federal government could come in with a gun and actually force you to do it, even though some places are making those sorts of moves. You know, we have to be thoughtful and considerate, of course, out of our love and concern for our neighbors who are coming, right? But we also have to be thoughtful for the concern of the freedom that we express as Christians in the church with regards to the gospel, not simply a freedom from eating and drinking things, but one of the things that, of course, a primary discussion that we've been having in in Iowa and in my congregation uh, with several of the members, and generally which seems to be a discussion around here, is the freedom from death, the freedom, the absolute freedom from death that we have, and how does that shape our decision making in our daily lives? How does that shape our decision making as a congregation? Uh, so I think the discussion over masks and social distancing, and, you know, figuring out whether this is a guideline or whether this is a rule. And of course, that would affect, you know, your decision making in places. So here in Iowa, our governor and our cities, they are guidelines, you know, they are not uh, executable laws, right? The sheriff, you know, I've talked Closely with my sheriff throughout all this and he has firmly told me that he is not coming in to church buildings guns drawn to arrest people that are sitting five feet apart instead of six feet apart. Right, because these are guidelines. They're hopeful that people out of their free will, you know, out of their charity and out of their love for their neighbor will actually perform as citizens, which is, I think, the right way to approach it in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, as Christians, we have to be considerate of what our overlords, we have to honor the emperor as Peter says. Um, but we also honor Christ, and we also honor and love one another in Christ. And so um, this is a good, I think, discussion point for this very topic, and especially what leads out of this, right? Uh, the people that wear masks are silly because they're afraid, right? This is a judgment. This is exactly what St. Paul's talking about here, that Christians aren't to be passing judgment. This breaks. This is a, a sheer breaking of the Eighth Commandment, right? This is passing judgment on your neighbor, when you're not in a position of authority to judge your neighbor. This is why St. Paul makes that really powerful statement. You're not to judge the master or or the servant of a master, right? You're not to judge the one who serves the master. Only the master gets to make that judgment. And then, you know, he concludes this whole section by saying, and the master will Mm -hmm. come and execute those judgments. So while we're here below, right, our our job, if you want to say it that way, or our vocation for each other in the Christian congregation is to keep our mouths shut with regards to judgments and just see our brothers and see our sisters with regards to the way that Christ would see them and the way that we would see them in Christ, which is to just see them as Christians, just to see them as Christ. And, um, you know, so if you see somebody wearing a mask, just see them wearing a mask and don't let something come into your mind about that. If you see them not wearing a mask, don't say anything about that and let those thoughts fall out of your head. If you see somebody sitting in a pew, you know, four feet apart, Right, instead of six feet apart, just just keep praying through that, and don't make comments about it to anybody. Right, let those judgments die in your mind and in your heart, and and we will all be fine. And that that is really during a time like this, uh, probably one this the this is one of the greatest sins that is being broken and made. Right, the greatest commandments and one of the greatest sins that's being broken and made among Christians these days in a host of arenas is this passing judgments on other people and on other Christians, especially with regards to their decisions and those things, which I think are opinionation, you know, ruminations of opinions in the, in our daily vocation, in our current situation. So,
0: so the, the, Matt, and I think, I mean, this has crossed my mind too, in, in all this conversation that's occurring nationwide and within the church concerning the masks, the masks, it's, I mean, I think you're right that that would be an area where what Paul talks about in weak and, weak in faith, strong in faith, this is a, a place where Christians should not either despise one another or, or pass judgment on one another. Right. But, for example, the, with this matter of not quoting our opinions, the the hearing of the word of God, whether that's happening in person or through another means, that is something where if I see a brother in Christ not bothering to hear the word of God at all, I want to reach out to him and say, you, you need this, even if it's not in person, if you don't want to wear a mask or whatever the reason is you're not coming in person, you still need to hear the word of God. That, that would be the masks would be an example of not despising, not passing judgment. But the hearing of the word of God, given what the third commandment teaches, this is something that we need to urge our fellow Christians toward and and not be shy about it.
1: Right. Yeah, but that's not I mean, that's a historically and timeless issue right this right. is the the entire uh, function of the church is the calling of all to faith repentance and faith right so if you're ne- you know if you're neglectful of the hearing of the word which is of course the source of all of faith and life then you know where are we at with this sort of thing right this is why pastors exist this is one reason why congregations exist as a whole right why we're not ice you know why uh uh we're not isolated individually with regards to the Christian faith, but we're in a body or a communion or a fabric and all these different images, uh, are very important for us. And so, yeah, the, the hearing of the word or the receiving of the word is not an opinionation, right? And it's not an opinionation because that's a direct ordinance and command from Jesus himself, right? If Jesus had made clear statements with regards to face masks then we, would, we wouldn't be in this mess, right? If, if you know, if uh, 2,000 years ago and Jesus said, you know, there, there's going to be a time when you guys are all going to need to wear face masks, masks and you'll know the time, we'd go, oh, oh, now we know. Now he's enlightened us by the Holy Spirit to know exactly what we're talking about here, right? Uh, but that's not, that, that never happens. So we can have this argument in matters of opinion, right? And now it's interesting, too, because for, for St. Paul, his place is, of course, talking about food issues, which were the central issue of that day. Right. This is this is one of the issues that, of course, is is a a central issue for a lot of St. Paul's writings with regards to judgments in the present day for those Christians dealing with the inclusion of different cultural groups uh, coming. You know, they have different family cultures or different uh, societal norms within a certain group of culture, uh, the Hebrews and the Gentiles. And then how do they become united as a congregation coming from these different backgrounds? And the obvious answer to that is they're united in Christ, and so we're not going to quibble about pork sausage suppers, or you know, or not, right? We need to we need to make sure that we are not passing judgments and and despising each other based on those sorts of grounds. So,
0: mm. one of the things that I, I find important, I think, is that you know when you start talking weak and weak and strong, as you said right away, Paul's talking about not judging, and yet these are terms of of judgment. He, he classifies right. weak and strong and yet both groups bear a responsibility to each other there's yep. i mean so it's not like the the goal is not to say i'm strong in faith there i'm therefore i'm better than you or i'm weak in faith therefore you have to do something there's there's a responsibility to both and that really comes to bear i mean paul lays that out i think clearly in verse 3 where he talks about let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains right. so there's the strong's obligation to the weak and then really the rest of this particular section deals a little more, I think, with the weak's obligation to the strong, that's not right. to pass judgment. And I mean, that's, yep. I think that's an important thing to notice, that both groups have a responsibility toward each other.
1: Yes. And it's also important, there's questions as to what was the extent of Paul's usage of this and the knowledge of the congregation with regards to his judgments, right? So Paul is the apostle and the founding father, you might say, of that congregation, The one who worked and labored in Rome, the one who probably appointed or assigned the first pastor to that congregation, the one who would work directly, most likely with those who were strong in the faith and weak in the faith. So as the pastor of that congregation, he would have the knowledge, you know, he would would have the insight into who are the strong and who are the weak. And it's, you know, I still have questions when I read this as to whether or not that was inside knowledge for the congregation as a whole, right? Did Paul go through the congregation uh, and say, you know, so you're the strong ones and you're the strong ones and you're the strong ones and you're the weak ones and you're the weak ones and you're the weak ones. And, weak ones, and you just need to know that this is where you are. Right. And there will be a time when the weak will transition into the strong and maybe the strong will transition into the weak. Who knows how that all works out. Hopefully, you know, the strong aren't transitioning to the weak, but the weak are transitioning to the strong. But um uh, you know, what how did all this work out in the in the life of the congregation? Right? And I, I of course brought up the whole PC culture because if I was if I went into a congregational meeting and said something like, Well, so and so, you know, you're weak, so you should just be quiet about this. Well, oh man, you know, what kind of mess would that create for us as pastors if we made those sorts of, you know, clear judgments with regards to the people in the congregation. But here it's almost like St. Paul sort of urging that as a regular part of our activity that we notice these things and we observe these things. And I think that's also an important distinction is that for St. Paul, he's the one making the judgments because for him, God has put him in the position over the congregation or within the congregation to make those sorts of judgments, Hmm. which is an important thing for us to be reminded of with regards to congregants in relation to their pastor, but pastors in relation to the congregations. But then also the host of other things that St. Paul issues here, which is to make sure that even though these are judgments that God gives, that they're not ones that divide the congregation either, right? That they are done out of love and not out of spite, uh, which is, of course, the, the aim and goal of pastors in their life in congregations is to love the congregation and to provide order and care for the congregation. Throughout the time of their ministry, so
0: hmm. I mean, oh yeah, and, and overarching all of this, the very first thing that Paul says there in verse one is that the overarching command would be to welcome, well, right. That's right. welcome,
1: hospitality, and being loving. Right. That's why, as you brought up in chapter twelve, and as he reiterates at the end of chapter thirteen, right, love is of course the underlying and foundational contributing uh, practice of the Christian community, uh, and not judgment right? Love and not judgment. And, you know, when you start seeing people judgmentally, you start seeing them in a different way. And when you see people through love, you just see them as Christian members of the congregation, loving and serving one another and trying to do their best. And that's, that's the aim, right? That's what St. Paul has in mind here for the Romans, you know, not to see uh, the perhaps the Hebrew Christians, uh, those who have converted from Judaism, not to see them despising the Gentiles and the Gentiles are going you know, crazy at In-N-Out burger on the bacon cheeseburgers, right? And the Hebrews are still struggling with that freedom. Used to those sorts of the food distinction sorts of stuff. This isn't something we really struggle with, but I've had, you know, when you were at the seminary, I'm sure you had lots of conversations with folks from other cultures that would come from Africa. And I remember, I can't remember the name of the man. Once I was back for symposium at St. Louis and uh, I was having dinner with uh, some of my friends and we had invited this guy And he was of course a convert from islam and was now a christian uh, training to be a christian pastor and what were we having for dinner we were having bratwurst Mm -hmm. and the the, he he immediately said oh i don't eat pork and we were like holy moly that's right uh and we rushed you know we rushed over to the schnooks across from the seminary there in st louis and we got some kosher all beef hot dogs that he was able to consume, right? But we, you know, we're just those sorts of things slip our minds with regards to acting in Christian love towards those neighbors who are still, you know, uh, bound by these restrictions and codes and laws that men put in place, you know. Or even, uh, you know, the interesting thing about here with Saint Paul is that those kosher laws were put in place by God Himself, mm. but in Christ, you know, God undoes those things, right? God. Uh, Jesus has the authority to undo even those things. And that's what he does. So,
0: right. And so, so that, that's a good example. I think of what Paul says in verse three about, uh, let, let not the one who eats, that would be you eating your bratwurst, right. despise the one who, who isn't eating your friend who, right. who needs the all beef. So what about, what about from his end as one who is abstaining, looking at you eating your bratwurst? What's the right. responsibility of that Christian toward you?
1: Yeah, the the there's uh, a definitely a responsibility for those who are weak to not see those who are strong as being libertine, right, and taking advantage, right? That would be, of course, the great temptation that those who are constrained often can develop a sense of pride that based on the rules, they're following the rules more strictly and that they are, in fact, better in better standing, which, of course, is one of the main Issues that I think St. Paul also deals with throughout this letter and in his other letters, right? Uh, This is, of course, why St. Paul was yelling at Peter in Galatians and in in Acts, right? He's yelling at Peter because Peter gets sucked back in to the weakness, not the strength, of the Hebraic distinctions and the judgmentalism of the Hebrews over the Gentiles who are acting in their freedom and loving the Lord their God and acting out their freedom in Christ. And then when James's boys show up. And Peter gets sucked back into the Hebrew issue, right the Hebrew distinctions and the elementary principles. Saint Paul freaks out on him, right He freaks out on him over food laws, and you know we you know this is where we can get into uh, you know maybe a little bit more of a de- developed discussion, maybe not in not, maybe not in the rest of our time for today, but what is really at stake over food laws? St. Paul seems to assume that the food laws that are going on, right, the breaking of the food laws or the, the image that St. Peter gives of pulling away from the Gentiles because of the food laws, that this is actually destroying the gospel and the unity of the body of Christ, right? And should we apply that similar sort of issue to the issue of masks or social distancing or, you know, uh, contemporary versus traditional worship and all these sorts of things? And I think the answer to that question is we need to be very careful with how we go about passing judgments and despising people so that we don't get to the point where we are breaking the gospel and breaking the body of the Christ over these sorts of issues. You know, in Luther's day, again, going back to his Romans lectures, he brings up all sorts of issues, right? He brings up the issues of the high liturgies and the vestments and the chiming of the bells and all these sorts of things in his lecture on the Romans. And he points out how these things should be thrown away because they've led so many astray, right? But then, of course, he doesn't go and throw those things away, right? Uh, he issue, you know, he, he, st- he stays, he has continuity with the historic practices in the church because he then goes back and, you know, realizes that those are important for a lot of people. But if they ever became a hang up, right? If they ever became a point of, uh, you know, where the liturgies and the bells and the incense and all these things became the focus of the faith of the people or that through these actions, we know we are right, then you, I have no doubt that Luther would have burned all that stuff up. You know, in the midst of his reformatory practices, and said, "We can't have these things until we have the full freedom of the gospel," which he seems to make pretty clear in his lectures and in a lot of his sermons.
0: Hmm. Just to, I mean, oh, I could keep. I think we could keep talking about just these first few verses the whole time. I mean, because it, it seems to me that that when you when you fall into either danger, whether it's the danger of despising the one who abstains or judging the one who's exercising the freedom, That's right. I mean, you can you can fall into. I think you could call it Pharisee. Pharisee, is, uh Pharisees, what the Pharisees did legalism to to legalism, use that term. Right. or or Phariseal. you could fall into pharisee how do you say it Pharisaical there you yeah. go, yeah, pharisaical or or on the other hand a sort of um antinomianism no no law the the question that Saint Paul addresses in Romans chapter six of. Well, if God's just going to keep forgiving, can I just keep doing whatever I want so that grace may abound? Like, I mean, just sort of abusing the freedom. You could fall into either error if you, if you fall into these. So, But, I mean, just to keep us moving through the text, though, so Paul, Paul in verses 5 and following starts to, to say, well, how, how does this come about? That, that one person arrives at this conclusion, another arrives at this conclusion. He, he moves into the example of, of observing days from the, the movement of, of what you're eating. But, but he says in, in both, the, the key is, the end of verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Right. How, how does that happen that, that one Christian is fully convinced this way and another Christian is fully convinced that way?
1: Right. So, what's an important thing I think to remember here is that these verses are not exclusive from the other previous chapters, right? And the previous statements that we have said, right? The framework for decision making within the Christian congregation and within the consciences of human beings who are Christians isn't, I'm going to make up my mind isolated from all influence or something like that. This, of course, absurd notion you know, of independent and objective reason that's, un, you know, that has no influence from outside matters or, or voices or religious categories or anything like that, right? The issue for St. Paul is that when a Christian is making up a decision with regards to, say, a day, say, you know, say you observe a particular day in your family with regards to, you know, so we have Ascension, you know, we had just had Ascension, and Ascension was observed on a Thursday. Maybe in your home you did a devotion for Ascension on Thursday, which would be fine. We did a devotion in our house for Ascension on Thursday, but we don't have a service in my congregation for Ascension on Thursday because at this point, nobody would show up. So we observed it on a Sunday, right? Now, some people are going to say that they should observe it on the Thursday and that you should observe, you know, the seventh or sixth Sunday of Easter on, you know, the Sunday after the Ascension, right? Those, you know, those sorts of arguments about days and these sorts of things, uh, we have to be convinced about why and the decision-making that we're doing based upon the scriptures and faith, right, based upon those things which are categorically undeniable and necessary for our decision making, which are going to emanate from our love when we're making these decisions with, re- with regards to everybody. So if I want to do a devotion with my family on Thursday for the Ascension and sing a hymn and say a prayer and read a reading on the Ascension and but not have a service in the congregation, but then observe the Ascension on a Sunday. Right. That's all the framework for that is out of our love and care for the congregation, the importance of remembering, of course, the ascension and all that's entailed in the ascension, but not imposing that will on everybody with regards to my decision making, but generally the consensus of the group who are also making decisions based on the gospel and not out of, you might say, weakness or a disposition to despise those who are weak. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I mean, it's it's a very hard thing to do. So, so at our congregation, we did have an Ascension service on Thursday. That, right. I mean, forty days after Easter, it's always on a Thursday, and uh, but it's very difficult, I think, for one pastor not to look down upon another, or one congregation not to look down upon another. And in fact, this this particular year, normally on Ascension, we have a service inside the building. It's a communion service. We're receiving the body and blood of the ascended Lord Jesus, which is just. I mean, in my mind, it's such a fantastic way to celebrate the Ascension. This year, we had it outside due to right. COVID restrictions. We didn't celebrate the sacrament due to just the logistics of, of doing that outside. That was the decision that we make. And and it was it was a struggle for me because I, I think that what we were doing was good practice. And yet we have that freedom in the gospel. And it's it's difficult not to make these judgments, to have these despising of each other, and I think a lot of this goes back to, and this is the theme of Romans, is that where does our righteousness come from? It doesn't come from us. It's the gift right. of God to us. And it's our, our tendency to self-justify, to find righteousness yes. within ourselves that leads this to be such a difficult thing for us.
1: That's right. And that's, that is a very important, I'm glad you brought that up because the move to self-justify is based on the human mind and not on the scriptures at all and not on the personal work of jesus because christ would say you're free and what we say is we're not free right and that goes back to the strong and the weak distinction right so if you're strong you know that you're free because christ says so but if you're weak you still believe that you're constrained because you think so because christ hasn't said that right christ has said and and proclaimed over you in your baptism in the confession and absolution in the lord's supper right in the proclamation of the gospel from the pulpit that you are in fact free and what Christ says goes. That's still a confessional standard for Christianity in general, but especially the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And I preached a sermon yesterday, or, or it's Tuesday now, I preached a sermon on Sunday, which points this exact thing out with, with regards to Pentecost, right? A, a critical issue for Christians in the present day is, who are we listening to with regards to all of this stuff? Who is the source of our knowledge and information? Right. Because if we listen to human beings, if we listen to the world, if we listen to media outlets and Jack Dorsey at Twitter, you know, and Zuckerberg at Facebook, if we're listening to, you know, uh, anybody. Right. It's not doesn't have to be liberal people, but it can just as well be conservative people. We could listen to Trump or we could listen to Ann Coulter or Ben Shapiro or, or whoever. In the end, what whatever a human has is just a cup full of salt that they're trying to give to us. And that only makes us more dry and more parched and more bound to this world and even more dead. But as John 7 proclaims in the Pentecost passage, I don't know if you're on the three year or the one year, but our John 7 passage for three years, Jesus saying directly to his apostles and disciples, you come to me and I'm going to give you water. And then it's going to well up in you and overflow in you, which is exactly what St. Paul is pointing out in this text. That when Christ is the source and norm of our faith and life, what wells up in us because of his gift then overflows out of us for the benefit of our neighbors. And that is what makes a strong Christian, right? Not their ability to, you know, not their works after the fact. That's not, of course, it's evidence or the produce of their strength, right? But the source and norm of the strength is the person and work of Christ, his work and those people who trust and receive that work for themselves
0: so and if if i am on the three-year lectionary so that means you don't have to judge me or despise me that's right i don't right yeah, so, no but pastor I, you you take us exactly where paul takes us which and this is it's i'm really glad that you said that <laughs> well i mean that this is the move that paul is making here from from verses one through six into verses seven through nine that even even as each one is fully convinced in his own mind that this isn't some sort of rugged individualism that we're talking about but That's this right. is we we still have this unity within the christian church and it's found in the lord jesus christ who has died and lived to make himself both lord of the living and the dead and this is i mean this is one of the key theological foundations for this whole discussion
1: Right. And the, the Lord of the weak and the strong, right? I, know, I, I find it interesting that he moves to living in the dead and doesn't go back to weak and strong imagery. But whatever the case is, uh, we could go back to the discussion on masks, right? If one person wants to wear a mask and they say, listen, I'm doing this out of the love and concern of my neighbor, right? I'm doing this because I don't want to possibly spread this thing to other people, right? Great. Thank you. I love you. And if somebody says to the other person, right, I, I am not afraid of death and I am not around sick people." And, you know, one way or the other, I cannot extend or shorten the length of my life because God holds all things in his hands and he kills and he makes alive. The other person with the mask on should go. Fantastic. I love you. Right. You're in faith. I'm in faith. Let's go take communion together. Right. Mm. And not despise or pass judgment on each other. That should just be the end of it, because both people are convinced in Christ and by the gospel and not in human reason. Not because one person says this from Fox News and another person says that from CNN. Right. But because their their decision making and the framework for their thoughtfulness and love for each other is rooted in Christ. So mm.
0: yeah, I mean and that that's this matter of being in Christ has been a key thing for Paul throughout that's the right. letter to the Romans. It continues throughout the letter to the Romans, throughout his epistles of, of being in Christ. This is where our unity is found. Martin Franzman in his commentary on Romans talks about that Christians have this unity of a voice but it's not a uniformity he he makes that distinction and i think i mean the matter of masks no masks what you eat what you don't eat which day you celebrate the ascension of our lord that that's a good example that that there's this unity of confession found in the lord who has lived and died so that in all of our doing living or dying we are his but it's not this rigid uniformity either
1: that's right yeah
0: so Pastor Bell said, "I mean, so that's that's one of the key theological foundations is that the Lord Jesus, and I too, I, I noticed as well. He makes this move to living and dying instead of weak and strong. I, I'm not, I don't know any any why why might he have done just as a, a wider framework to to make this argument in, or what what was that move?
1: Yeah, I think it's a, I think he's hearkening back here to his opening chapters, right, where he consigns all things to hell so that God might be all in all." and i think he's marginalizing our opinions in this mortal life right in the like what 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 is the point in the end of arguing about masks masks are going to go to hell in the end right everything all this stuff all these things that we find so important i love bacon cheeseburgers that's going to hell everything is going to hell right god is wiping all this stuff off of the face of the planet, and he is bringing about the end of the age, that's where we're at, and when we're standing at the judgment throne, which is where he winds up at, St. Paul does in 14, you're going to look at your Christian, your your fellow brother, and God's going to be judging you with regards to your treatment of him, and you're probably going to look at your brother who you were arguing about masks masks with in this time, and you're going to say then what you should have said now, which was, This really wasn't that big of a deal. (laughs) This we shouldn't have been blowing each other up over masks. Right. We shouldn't have been going to war over cheeseburgers and sausage suppers and bacon and all beef hot dogs. Right. This we should have treated those things for what they were then, because now God's really hot with us for the mess we made in the present time over these things. Because as St. Paul says, if, if he hasn't convinced you with his very rational argument about not judging and despising each other because of your love in Christ. He will, he punches you in the face by saying, "Well, God's going to judge you one way or the other, so you better you know you better watch yourself." So,
0: right. I mean, that's that's the, there's I think there's as I was reading through this, there's two foundations for these commands to not despise and not judge, and, and the one is that Christ is the Lord of the living and the dead, and and we belong to Him together. I don't know if this is the, it's maybe a bit simplistic. That's the gospel foundation of it. And the the law foundation of it is as he comes back to, he mentioned it in verses four and five, but he comes or verse four primarily, but he comes back to it in verses 10 through 11. This matter of of God's final judgment is, I mean, you might call it the law foundation of this. This is the threat that's behind it. If you, Start, I mean, and this brings to bear other passages concerning judgment. Matthew 7 comes to mind as to the, the standard you use will be used against you. Paul's bringing right. that same thing to bear here at the end of his argument for this section.
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, so that's one of the things I mentioned about in my Ascension sermon, which is obviously the focus of pastors and the focus of congregations is the grace and love of Christ uh, made clear in all of his work, in his death, and in his resurrection. And his Ascension points out another necessary component that we must remember and always be tempered with, which is the fact that he's the judge of the living and the dead. It's in our confession it's in our creeds. It's a significant aspect of his work in the creation, uh, which makes, you know the work of the church as Christ issues it and as the church fathers have issues it, yeah. uh, and as we talk about it in our catechisms and in our confessions, it's, uh, the work of the church is the, to call sinners to repentance right? The work of the church is to call sinners to repentance. Lots of congregations fall into, and individuals in the congregations fall into the idea that the Christian church or the congregation is simply a clubhouse, right? Where, where you know, this is where we go, we have our coffee, you know, we do our traditions, we, ha- we we do these things, you know, we don't really have to be worried about the, you know, the details of stuff, right? Or, or whatever. But the ascension, and what St. Paul is talking about here in uh, Romans chapter 14 point out that, our ongoing life, our daily life, is one of repentance and faith. And I I remember Luther writing a 95 theses, and the first of those being the entire life of the Christian is one of repentance, right? Uh, And this is really an aspect of the daily life, right, or the cycle of the Christian faith that Luther, you know, develops with oratio, meditatio, tentatio. These sorts of uh, very clear distinctions are important for us to dust off in the present day, right? Right. To dust off presently, because I don't know what your experience is like, but mine as a pastor is, you know, I have members of my congregation who are going through extensive tentatio at the moment. But not only members of my congregation, I've been getting phone calls and emails from all sorts of people in this community asking about how we as Lutherans deal with a situation like this because they're not 100 percent sure that their pastor's dealing with it in the best possible way and that's because there's all sorts of preachers that want to throw therapy or they want to throw moralism you know there's a there's a whole variety of things that pastors can get caught up with trying to deal with sinners and trying to deal with christians in a time of crisis in a time of death in a time of trauma in a time of uncertainty in a time of anxiety right the black swan event uh that we're currently going through with COVID 19 and the various other ones that will follow right but when you're a lutheran and when you're a faithful Christian in general, which is just the same as being a Lutheran, you're dealing with Christianity and being Christian and uh, the daily life of the Christian through repentance and faith and nothing else, through the proclamation of the gospel, which is the calling of all to faith. And these sorts of things are things that we need to get back to if we're not already there as Lutherans, but especially as Christians in general. Some people are doing that outside of the Lutheran tradition, which is good, and a lot of people aren't, which is really sad for a time like this. Mm. But that's sad at any time
0: right hopefully that's not something we have to dust off too much it's there in the catechism too the right. the fourth part of baptism about the the daily life of the christian of being one of of contrition and repentance and and drowning right. the sin and then rising to the new life in christ is i mean it's been there all along what we've been teaching our confirmands what we're we're daily meditating upon as luther would have us do in the large catechism so this, hopefully we're not dusting it off too much i, I really I, I like the way that you you've put this here because it it keeps this text from being just sort of a go be nice to each other you know don't That's worry right. be happy but it, it founds it in Christ crucified and risen the Lord of the living and dead who will judge us on the last day but as Christians we know what the judgments going to be righteous for the sake of, of Christ alone with just under three minutes pastor belts wrap things up it sum it up for us here this morning
1: well that seems like the most difficult question you have asked. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in short, uh, I think this this text, right, uh, uh, you know, you talk about brushing things off. You know, one of the things that I do love about preaching from the lectionary is that it gives us an order, right? And it gives us a, an order for our lives as Christians. But also, I think an important thing for the present situation is that pastors really do take the opportunity to preach on texts that deal with the issues at hand in the daily lives of our congregations and in our people as we know that they're coming up because I'm in a different situation than you're in. My congregation's in a different situation than yours. No no two congregations are the same. No two pastors are the same. No two contexts are the same. But if you're in a situation where, you'd feel and know that your congregation is being torn apart in a way, or you're at least aware of it with regards to judgments, with regards to, you know, some despising others, with regards to divisions over political lines, with regards to divisions over news media, right? All these sorts of things. A passage like this would be an excellent one for a preacher to bring forward to his congregation in a very pastoral way to point out that our life as Christians, especially in a time like this, is not derived from anything other than Jesus, that our framework for existence and the way we think through the issues that we are currently going through, not simply as a congregation, but also as individual families in our homes, that those things must derive from the scriptures. They must derive from the words of Jesus, because what else do we have to go on? What else is sure and certain? What else can we possibly hope to stake our existence on in a world that's passing away? right? We've learned we can't trust in princes. We've learned that we can't trust in economies. We've learned that we can't trust in media. We learned that we can't trust in the strength of armies. We learned we can't trust the CDC. We, le- we can't trust anybody. We're learning all these things again if we hadn't already learned them. And, it, and, and we can despair, we can fall into melancholy, or we can turn to the one who has been raised from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity, which is, of course, exactly what St. Paul is doing here. He's turning the head of the congregation back to Christ, pointing them to Christ, giving them Christ, urging them towards Christ. And then if there are people who are stubborn in the congregation who don't want to be moved by their love, then he smacks them with the judgment, right? And maybe that's appropriate for us too as pastors is to have courage, right? That what can man do to us but destroy our flesh? And in the end, what is our flesh? Maybe we should have courage if we have you know stubborn people who are unwilling to be moved by the gospel. To point out the judgment, right, which is another uh, another component of this whole thing that St. Paul does and is excellent pastoral care. So uh, that would be, a, I guess, a fairly accurate summation, maybe, would you say?
0: Yeah. Pastor Good. Sam Belts, pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Oskaloosa, Iowa, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Belts, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Tim. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233.